epistle reading for the 25th Sunday after Pentecost from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. For since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel in St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, It will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servants. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The parable we have before us, I think in some ways, is tricky. I think there's a danger to misunderstanding this parable. You see, the return of Christ for the believer should be a day that we look forward to with joy. Right? We want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But I think there's a way that we misunderstand this parable that makes us constantly wonder and question, am I doing enough? And I think that's the wrong question. What I think it does is it makes us makes it impossible for us to live the Christian life the way our Lord wants us to. I think it makes us think of this day with dread then and not joy. So let's look carefully at this parable, see what our Lord's teaching us in it. I want to start at kind of a weird place. I want to start with the third guy. The guy who at the end is cast out. That is cast into hell, right? This parable is a picture of our Lord's return, just like last week's parable of the ten virgins. We have another parable of our Lord going off, ascending, and now he's returning, and people are giving account before him. And I think if we understand him and his role in this, we can understand the rest of the parable properly. We need to understand from the outset what's wrong with this third guy. And what's wrong with him isn't that he didn't do enough. What's wrong with him is that he feared in an ungodly way and despised the Lord, his master. In fact, he treats him with contempt. By his actions and words, he slanders him. What does he say? Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now we hear the master's response, and I think we must understand it too, because the master essentially says, if that's really what you thought, if you really thought I was like that, then at the very least, you could have put it in the bank and made something, but you're wicked and lazy. The question at the heart of this parable really is, how do we view the Lord's? How do we view him? In the context of Matthew's gospel, repeatedly throughout his gospel up until this point, you see and you hear that Jesus is loving, that he is gracious, that he is kind, you hear in chapter 11 that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Not that he is a hard taskmaster. So the servant slanders the Lord. It's the attitude of one who slanders our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the parable itself, we're given a hint that the master is not like that. 
Notice, he gave to each one according to his ability. He didn't give them more than they could handle. He gave them exactly what they should be able to handle according to their ability. Again, this is a picture of Judgment Day. And when the Lord returns, the issue will be unbelief. That is the issue. Pastor Ingford preached on this last week. Here we're seeing that unbelief flows into both actions and words. He thought the wrong thing about his Lord and Master. He did not fear, love, and trust him the way the Bible calls him to. And so instead, he said, you know what? I think no matter what I do, he's going to come back and be hard on me. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm done with this. That is the attitude that gets judged. It is that unbelief that is judged. It is why he's dealt with so harshly at the end. Now very clear there, clearly in this parable, there is a call to faithful service. But first, we need to look at what is this treasure, what is this talent that's given to them? I should note that a talent weighed about 75 pounds. And a talent's equivalent to 20 years' wages for a day laborer. So, the first guy gets essentially 100 years of wages entrusted to him. The other one gets 40 years, and the other one 20 years. It's no small sum of money given to them. So what great treasure are you entrusted with? What does God give you that is worth so far beyond what we can really comprehend? Well, first and foremost, it's the gospel. It is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that Jesus came for you, that he suffered and died for you, that he rose again for you, that you might be saved. This is what's entrusted to all of us, not just pastors, but every single one in here is entrusted with this glorious gospel. The question is, how? How do we faithfully use this gospel? Well, first, what you're doing right now, you faithfully receive it. You receive it through word and sacraments. That is making a right use of it. It's making a faithful use of it. And then, as those who have received it, what do we do? We share it. We proclaim it. We look for opportunities to get this treasure into other people's hands. That other poor, miserable sinners might become rich like we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned in our Bible study in Ruth one way that I think is kind of easy to do this. That is to invite people into your home who don't know Jesus. Not the purpose of bringing them over for dinner and saying, ah, now that you're here, I'm going to share the gospel with you. But loving them and serving them and getting to know them so that you might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And of course, too, we pray for all those around us who are unconverted, especially those that we know and love. Sometimes our people here say something like, well, all I can do is pray. And I think all, all you can do, all you can do is go to the one who owns heaven and earth. 
All you can do is go to the one who loves you and died for you and bring it to him who has the power to do whatever you ask. That's all you can do? That sounds pretty amazing. Sounds like what we should all be doing. Secondarily, but still quite important, what gifts has God given you? Right? He's all given us time, and all of our days are filled with different things, each one of us. He's given everyone here various talents and abilities. He's given everyone in here various treasures, money and wealth. So then the question we have to ask ourselves is, what has the Lord given to me? And what am I doing with it? I take a lot of comfort that it says he gives to each according to his ability. That means he knows what you can handle. He knows what you can do. And he gives according to that. So are you being wise with it? Are you investing those things in the advance of the kingdom of God? Are you being faithful with them? We are indeed to strive to work with all that we are and all that we've been given in service to the Lord. But not because it saves us, not because if we don't do enough, then we're not going to get into heaven, but because God is good and gracious and kind. And that grace produces in us a desire to be wise with what he's been given to us, to be faithful with what he's given to us. Two things we need to not forget as we look through this, and it goes back to the first two guys. The first two men accept their identity and calling. What do I mean by that? They understand who the master is, and so they rightly fear, love, and trust in him. Second, they know who they are. They know that they are his servants and what that means for them. And so to all of us in here, we've been claimed by Jesus in our baptisms, and we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we need to know whose we are, that we are the good and gracious Lord's, that he owns us, that we are his. When we have that straight, when we get that, it impacts absolutely every single thing that we do. It impacts how we see the Lord as our good and righteous Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. It impacts how we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It impacts how we see one another. It impacts how we see our work. It even impacts how we see our play. When we know who our Master is and we know who we are in light of who our Master is, it changes absolutely everything for us. I just had four baptisms this afternoon, at, right at four o'clock. And each child was marked with the sign of the cross both upon their foreheads and upon their hearts to what? Mark them as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. That's who you are, and that's whose you are. Now, I think this gets us to the very heart of the misunderstanding. The question is not, how many more talents do I need to gain with what I've been given? The question is not, have I served faithfully enough? 
You see, because there's a danger there. In the Book of Mormon, it says this. You didn't think I'd be quoting the Book of Mormon tonight, but here we go. It is by grace we are saved after all we can do. Well, that's pretty awful. It's by grace you are saved after all you can do? No one in here, even today, has done all they could do. I guarantee you that. Not one of us. And then in the car this morning, I heard this Christmas song. Maybe I've heard it before. I don't know. But it says this. It's talking about Santa Claus. You'll get yours if you've done everything you should, extra special good. Well, that's kind of the Mormon view of God. Kind of Santa Claus. But let me ask you something. If your eternal salvation was dependent on you doing everything you should, extra special good, where would you be left? When Jesus returned, is that what you can go forward to him with? I've done everything I could, extra special good. No. The danger in this parable is not that you won't try hard enough or do enough. The danger is that you lose sight of who your master is, that you lose sight of your own identity, and you do nothing. You don't serve at all. You're wicked and lazy because you do not have faith. That is the danger of this parable. The question will be asked on the last day is not have you done enough, but have you lived as my servant? Have you served? Imagine on the last day you come before the Lord and you say, there is so much more I could have done with what you've given to me. But, but here's what I've got. There, someone else says, I was timid. I was so afraid I often didn't do what I should have done or as much as I should have done. I don't feel like I did enough. What does the Lord say? He says, I know. I know. I know you could have done more. I know you were timid. I know you were scared. I know you failed to take every opportunity. But what does he say to us? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. He says that to every Christian. Not just to some, not just to a select few, but to every single Christian will hear those words. This parable, I think, is really summed up beautifully in Luther's little book, The Freedom of a Christian. He says that before God in Christ Jesus, when we know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that all we have is Jesus for salvation, that it frees our conscience before God. We know we don't have to do anything that we can't do anything to earn his love, grace, and favor. So then when we serve our neighbor, it's out of love. Love for them. Not because we're trying to earn brownie points with God, not because we're trying to get some more talents added to our total, but we're free. Living as free men and women in Christ Jesus. We're living in grace and mercy. It's a much more freeing thing to ask, am I being faithful than have I done enough? We can judge whether we've been faithful or not. It's quite easy to look at Scripture and see. If you ask yourself, am I doing enough? The answer is always going to be no. We're not. 
Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus has been enough. He's paid our debts. He's loved us and given himself for us, and he frees you to love and serve your Father, to love and serve your neighbor. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.